Hello, and welcome to this FRDH First Rough Draft of History podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Sun House was one of the originators of the Mississippi Delta Blues in the 1920s and 30s. If you trace the origins of rock and roll, all roads lead to the Delta in those decades. A song of Sun House's has been going through my head constantly the last few weeks, John the Revelator. It's not really a blues, but a religious call and response sung a cappella. Like many Delta bluesmen, House had a complicated relationship with faith. He had been a preacher for many years before succumbing to temptations of the flesh, and when he sings here of the author of the book of Revelation, I hear fear, dread, and awe. Tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator, tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator, tell me who's that writing, John the Revelator wrote the book of the seven seals, who's that writing? It took me a while to figure out why I was hearing this tune. I've been arguing in my head with the political stars of social media that America didn't take a wrong turn when it elected Donald Trump. Trump didn't send the U.S. careering off in a new direction. Trump's election revealed what America has become to its citizens and to the rest of the world. I started rhyming the response, John the Revelator, as Don the Revelator. Trump's presidency has revealed, or confirmed, the reality of what America has been for some time. Not just a hopelessly divided nation, that's been obvious for a while, but one whose institutional structures are rotten and incapable of repairing the divide. The economy, business, is riddled with corruption. Edward Luce in the Financial Times noted the U.S. Treasury estimates that $300 billion a year of dirty, kleptocrat, and criminal money is laundered through the American economy. But that's only a headline grabber. The economy is based in oligarchy, which always breeds corruption, and financial speculation that has virtually no oversight. The financial industry has the wealth to fund lobbyists to make sure that regulatory legislation doesn't pass Congress. Buying influence is part of any definition of corruption. Education. Education is in a wretched state. Primary and secondary schooling is politicized, bureaucratized, theocratized. The curriculum that I learned in the 50s and 60s, the same basic curriculum that Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and Bill Gates were taught, without benefit of a personal computer, has been whittled away. Today, American students lag well behind their peers in East Asia and Europe in basic math and reading skills. And as for higher education, places at elite institutions are for sale, as recent scandals involving celebrities have shown. But it's nothing new. Harvard admitted Jared Kushner following a gift, reportedly in excess of $2 million, from his father. Gift or bribe? I report, you decide. That was in 1998. Bill Clinton was president. Donald Trump was still in real estate, not yet a reality show TV star. The press is another institutional pillar of American society whose decay has been forced into the open by Don the Revelator. The Washington, D.C. press corps in particular has proven itself incapable of reporting the Trumpian reality. Reporters too often indulge in clickbait speculation about his mental and physical health. They report as fact 
gossip about who was about to quit the administration and blow the whistle on him. So far, none of the generals and other higher-ups who have been humiliated and forced out of his cabinet or as chief of staff have done so. Washington journalists continue to feed a commercial model of journalism where it's understood that reporting objective facts doesn't pay the bills. Speculation and rumor leading to online traffic do. Another pillar of society, a shared sense of reality, has been severely damaged. A unified view of the world as it is, objective facts that provide the foundation for rational, not emotional judgments and actions, is essential for the health of any society. That, too, has been shown by Don the Revelator to be something that has rotted away in America. Trump supporters live inside Fox News' facts-filtered zone, a separate reality, but the other 60% of Americans seem to shy away from reality as well. I I chose 60%, by the way, by subtracting Trump's consistent approval rating of around 40 to 41% from 100 I can't believe you think that way, the shell-shocked 60% say to their relatives or old friends. Belief has nothing to do with it. The inability to accept as fact Trump's support, but rather to view it as an aberration or even a form of mental illness, leads to an inability to see Trump supporters clearly. The fact-based community somehow can't understand the dynamics that explain how the Republican Party very quickly became the Trump Party but there is a factual trail to follow. Trump's Republicans have, over the last quarter of a century, become a dangerous faction, as defined by James Madison in the Federalist Papers. They are a single-minded group whose actions are, as Madison wrote, adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. In the last seven presidential elections, the GOP has won the popular vote just once. Yet throughout this period, the Republican faction acts as if America is essentially a one-party, their party, state. Although the GOP's elites resisted Trump initially, it should be no surprise that they have come around to backing him blindly. He delivers for them and for the base. The reality of the Trump voter has been plain to see since the latter stage of the 2016 campaign. I was in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, right after the bizarre debate performance where candidate Trump stalked Hillary Clinton around the stage like a psychopath. This was a week after the Access Hollywood tape, the infamous grab by the pussy tape, came to light. What I learned in that corner of Pennsylvania was none of that stuff mattered. Republican voters were all in. The people I met out there were church-going people, folks who saw the crazy for what it was, found his language no worse than what you might hear in any locker room, and as for his behavior towards Clinton during the debate, it was not anywhere near as bad as her own husband's behavior towards her during their marriage. His supporters were unswayable. They were loyal to the man. Nothing would make them change their minds. And he has been loyal to his supporters— Although Trump lies like no other president in history, he has been surprisingly faithful to his promises to the unswayables. He promised to appoint conservative justices to the Supreme Court and has delivered two, plus many more, on lower federal courts. He has made good on his promise of a massive tax cut, even if the biggest beneficiaries were the very rich. He promised to build a wall with Mexico, and even though he's had no success in doing so, 
Trump keeps trying, and in the meantime he is severely punishing those unfortunates who have tried to cross into the U.S., especially children. That works for his supporters. They no longer care about his promise to make Mexico pay for the barrier. The main thing is to keep the foreigners out by whatever means necessary. Trump promised to put America first, a slogan whose origins are in the 1930s isolationist movement, a movement that attracted Hitler sympathizers like Charles Lindbergh. He has pursued an independent isolationist foreign and trade policy, heedless of international relationships. His supporters have long wanted to peg China back in international trade, and he has delivered the trade war many wanted. The way he's done it has been unpresidential, but the U.S. has been headed towards isolationism since the failure of the Iraq War was quickly followed by the 2008 crash. It's hard for many Democratic voters to acknowledge, but Trump, in some ways, is just following down the trail that Barack Obama first marked out during the course of his presidency. In 2016, candidate Trump gave the New York Times his views on America's role in global security. Asked if he would remove troops from Japan and South Korea, he said, I would. I would not do so happily, but I would be willing to do it. We cannot afford to be losing vast amounts of billions of dollars on all of this. We just can't do it anymore. Asked about NATO, he said, NATO is obsolete, and complained about how much the U.S. paid to keep the organization going. His policy towards NATO since coming into office has been consistent with those sentiments. In some ways, he was echoing President Obama. In 2016, around the time Trump was talking about withdrawing troops and NATO's obsolescence, Obama expressed similar doubts about America's ability to pay for and maintain the security apparatus it had safeguarded since the end of World War II. He told The Atlantic magazine, I suppose you could call me a realist in believing we can't, at any given moment, relieve all the world's misery. When Obama walked away from his own red line in Syria and refused to strike the Bashar al-Assad regime after the Syrian dictator dropped chemical weapons on his own people, was it really that different than Trump walking away from Kurdish allies in northern Syria? Each was taking a step towards redefining the extent of American leadership in the West's security architecture. Much of the time, Trump seems to be a living paraphrase of Karl Rove's famous statement, We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. The Trumpian reality has bred fear in the 60%. There are important facts too easily forgotten in the panic caused by the Trump reality distortion field. His base may be unswayable, but it is far from the majority. Trump supporters represented most 26% of America's eligible voters. He lost to Hillary Clinton, an unpopular candidate, by 3 million votes. Trump has had a galvanizing effect on the Democratic grassroots. During the 2018 midterm elections, I spent a Saturday morning in suburban Atlanta with a bunch of Democratic Party volunteers who were canvassing the neighborhood. They were overwhelmingly women who had no prior political experience. Many had gone on the Million Women March the day after the Trump inauguration. All over the U.S., people like them helped the Democrats regain control of the House of Representatives. In Georgia, Lucy McBath, a woman of color, ran as an anti-gun candidate in Newt Gingrich's old district and won. Stacey Abrams, another black woman, came within a whisker and 
a bunch of suppressed ballots, of winning the governorship of that southern state. The trend continued into 2019's off-year election. Democrats took over the legislature in Virginia. They kept hold of the governorship in Louisiana. The Democrat surge in the old Confederacy included taking the governorship of Kentucky, despite the Republican candidate tying himself tightly to Trump. But to go back to the beginning, Don the Revelator. He delivers most of all for America's political Christians. Oh, all right, evangelical Christians. But really, they are a political movement, not a faith movement. This sect is obsessed with eschatology, the end times, and the picture I've painted of America today, hopelessly split, its institutions rotten. Well, you could see them as the beginning of end times, if you were so inclined. The text around which they base their worldview and political activity is, of course, the last book of the Christian Bible, Revelation, in all its mad, hallucinogenic bloodlust. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. I think I know who political Christians have in mind to be in this torment forever and ever, and it's not them might be me. Anyway, the author of Revelation is thought to be John of Patmos, or as he is called by country preachers in the Deep South, like Sun House, John the Revelator. Tell me who's that running John the Revelator of the book of the seven seas. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. You can hear more, lots more, at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com. Please visit. There's a lot to listen to. And while you're there, you can make a donation to keep these podcasts coming. Thanks.